there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly... Just a few years ago, after a rash of injuries and a loss to the Toronto Raptors in the championship, it seemed like the Golden State Warriors dynasty might be done. SI senior writer Howard Beck revisits how the franchise rebooted itself on the fly and reached the NBA Finals again. But first, SI senior writer Chris Mannix joins me to discuss how the Boston Celtics turned their season around in January and reached the NBA Finals with a host of young players on the rise a new coach, and a reconfigured front office. It's Wednesday, June 8th. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, this is Sports Illustrated Weekly. Golden State Warriors are in the NBA Finals for the sixth time in eight years. And while that's impressive, they've been here and they've done that, and we've seen them do it. But they're pitted against the Boston Celtics, a young team that was under 500 and in utter shambles as late as January before they turned it around, ran through the Eastern Conference, and reached their first finals in well over a decade. To discuss the ascendant Celtics, their bright present, and their seemingly shiny future, we bring in our resident Celtics expert from the Crossover Podcast. Chris Mannix, welcome back to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Happy to be here. 
So we have you here to talk about the Boston Celtics, much to my chagrin. The series is tied 1-1. First game went really well for them. Second game after the half was a disaster. Games three and four in Boston coming up as we record this. I think if you told them, Chris, before the series started that they'd take one in San Francisco, they'd probably be cool with that, right? They would, but there are definitely going to be some discussions on the flight back about what went wrong in San Francisco. I mean... These third quarters have become disastrous for this team. And it's a relatively new phenomena for the Celtics. You know, the regular season, they were plus 2.7 in the third quarter. In the playoffs, they were minus 0.8, which is not good, but not catastrophic. In recent series, though, they have had some absolutely catastrophic third quarters. I mean, game three against Milwaukee in the conference semifinals. Game one against Miami in the conference finals. The last two games of this series where they have just been blitzed at the start of both these quarters. And when you ask the Celtics and the coaches about why it's happening, they can't really put their finger on it. There's nothing schematically they're doing differently that's forcing this problem upon them. It's just a lack of intensity, a lack of focus, just a lack of energy coming out of the game after halftime. So that's a problem. The other is the turnovers. Like, you can draw a straight line between bad Celtic losses and high turnovers. And game two, 19 turnovers, which led to 33 points for the Warriors. That's your ball game right there. Yeah. 11 live ball turnovers, that's your ball game right there. So, like, these are the things the Celtics have to dig into. I think some of the other stuff is solvable, like a subpar game from Al Horford, a subpar game from Marcus Smart. You get back home, you do some different things, they'll be fine. But these third quarters and the turnovers are things that have become consistent negative themes for the Celtics this playoffs. Yeah, the turnovers for sure, not great. And that's something that they need to clean up. The third quarter thing is interesting to me because yes, you can trace some problems for the Celtics back to other series, but on the flip side, the Warriors are known for blowing teams out in the third quarter. No. So like how much credit do you give the Warriors for just being the Warriors in those third periods? Oh, a ton of credit. And Look, if I hadn't seen what I'd seen you know, during these playoffs, I'd say it's all Golden State and the Celtics have to adjust accordingly. But game three against Milwaukee was such a clunker. It's just remarkable how poorly they played. You know, game one against Miami, they should have won that game by all rights. They came out in the third quarter, had the doors blown off. Like this is just becoming a thing to the point where you almost think the Celtics coaching staff should start thinking outside the box. Like, Instead of going into the locker room at halftime to discuss adjustments, let's just sit here and watch CeeLo Green perform and kind (laughs) of enjoy the moment and hang out and act like the time between the second and third quarter is just one long timeout. Like something's got to change. In their defense, if I see CeeLo, I'm checking out too. CeeLo was the halftime show in game two. That was great. I enjoyed him. That was He's excellent. Bits and pieces of all his best songs. But like, I mean... Something's got to change, though. Like, something is happening where this team is not coming out with the requisite energy. It's happening at home. It's happening on the road. And if they don't fix it, this series is not going to go their way. So I'm confused about this series. You saw the first two games up close and personal. I would have, you know, we had our SI staff picks. I took the Warriors just because of muscle memory. I know you took the Celtics. Game one happens. I was shocked floor, jaw on the floor, watching the Celtics come back because I thought, oh, the Warriors are up. This is over. And then the Celtics just blew past them. Back to Horford for the lead. Boston up by three. 
And then you have game two where the second half was no contest, right? I mean, the Celtics were just not in it. As you mentioned, they're watching CeeLo and doing a bunch of other stuff, but they're not playing basketball. I don't know what to make of this series. As it turns to Boston, how do you feel about it? Look, I still think the Celtics are the better team. I've thought that throughout. It's why I picked them to win in six games. When I look at the Warriors, you see all the championship experience, but that championship experience is bottled up into like three guys on that roster. Mm -hmm. So you've also got a whole bunch of guys that are just being there for the first time. I also see a lot of minus defenders on Golden State. I see Jordan Poole, who is a minus defender. I think Klay Thompson is at best an average defender at this point. Um, That's an interesting point because offensively he's looked clay-ish, but you're right. He doesn't look like the clay that we saw pre-injuries. And that's been a theme since he came back from the injury, right? Like Golden State has tried to hide him on bigger players because they don't believe he can stay with the quicker guys this close to coming back from the injury. It's not a knock on clay. I mean, he's coming back from two major lower leg injuries. Like that's the kind of thing that obviously takes a lot of time to get all your strength back and all your movement back from. But I think he's a minus defender at this point. So you're and Steph, look, Steph's having his best defensive season, but that still doesn't make him a plus defender in my mind. So that's why I thought Boston, if they can just stop shooting themselves in the foot with these turnovers and these bad third quarters, they'll find a way to win because they can lean on their defense. Their defense top to bottom, one through eight, is great. Like they don't put a minus defender on the floor. And when you can do that and you can put that type of lineup out there, you're going to win a lot of games, even this deep into the playoffs. You're going to be able to beat teams on defense alone. If you just run a relatively efficient, relatively low turnover offense. Yeah. Their defense really has been their hallmark the entire time. And they've looked really good. And against my better judgment, Chris, I've really enjoyed the first two games of the series, even though one of the teams is from Boston and anybody who's aware of my history and follows me on social media knows that the Celtics have been the bane of my existence for some time, but we have you on this program to discuss the rise of these young Celtics and how they got here in the first place, because they were under 500 on January 22nd. We had you and Howard Beck on to discuss them previously. They've just been so good since then. I asked you this before. I'm going to ask you this again. At the time, people were talking about maybe they need to split up the Jays, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and what's going on with them, and something's broken. What changed? You know, it's interesting. I had this conversation over the phone with Ime Udoka over the weekend, and I was asking him this specific question about the evolution of this team from October to where we are now. And one of the things he talked about a lot was that it just took time for this team to get what he wanted them to do. And that was on both ends of the floor. I mean, for most of this roster, they had played a defensive style that was completely different than what Ime wants to coach. The switching style, which you can only really do if you have five guys on the floor that can defend at least four positions. That's the only way you can do it. And the Celtics had that this year for the first time in their recent history. So getting them to understand how to play that style of defense took a long time. At the same time, getting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to buy into being playmakers took some time. Like, Marcus Smart came in, and Marcus Smart has done a remarkable job as a lead guard, a better job than anyone, myself included, could have expected him to do. But in addition to Marcus Smart, you needed Brown and Tatum to not just be scorers, to emphasize being playmakers. And that took some time 
for them to figure it out. There were the other reasons, of course, the COVID issues this team dealt with, as many teams did throughout the NBA, and other health issues they dealt with in the first couple of months. But from a basketball sense, those two things took months for this team to figure out. And I was asking Eman, like, when did you see the turn? He talked about the New Year's Eve game against Phoenix, where they just clobbered the Suns, and everything was working for them. That was only three days, I think, after they got hammered by Minnesota. And it was not the Timberwolves. It was like the G League Timberwolves because everybody was out for the Wolves that day. So days later, they got it together, they got it right, and they beat Phoenix. And that that to Ime and to others within the organization was a real turning point for that team. So was it just all basketball, though? Because it makes sense to me that, okay, Ime comes in and he's got the system and he wants them to adjust to a new way of playing. And as you said, switching everything and you have to have the right personnel. All of that makes sense from a basketball standpoint. But what about from like a managerial standpoint? Because I've had this conversation with Steve Kerr previously where he'll he'll say, you know, I think the the vast majority of head coaching in the NBA is managing personalities, right? He, he, he told me that he thought that head coaches should actually be called managers in the same way that soccer clubs have managers. And I'm wondering how they adjusted to Ime initially or had trouble adjusting to him maybe potentially because he was kind of very publicly critical of them. And I, and some players might not respond to that. Well, I, did you discuss that with him? Yeah, I did. And look, I do TV for NBC sports in Boston as well. And I do the pre and post game show for them. And I can vividly remember after every game in the first two months of the season, sitting through the Ime Udoka press conference, then coming back on <laughs> yeah. camera with this like befuddled look on my face about how Ime could just napalm these guys. I mean, he yeah. was just lighting them up. I said that to the group. I said, that's as ugly as it could get. Um, one thing I can't stand as a coach is to get punked out there. And I felt they basically come out, came out and punked us, outplayed us, played harder than us, all the things we talked about. That was in such stark contrast to the approach that Brad Stevens took about kind of how to handle bad losses. I, I like I remember I filled in a couple of times for Brian Scalabrini in the previous season. I had done the color commentary. And I remember through an intermediary, Brad had told me, like, if something goes wrong, blame the coach. You know, don't blame <laughs> the players on the air. Kind of, you know, in tongue in cheek in a way. But that was kind of his mindset, right? Like he he wanted to absorb all the criticism because he believed it was for the long-term benefit of the team. Ime Udoka does not believe that. And that's not something that he picked up from like Greg Popovich or from Steve Nash or from Brett Brown. That's just him. As I was asking that, I'm like, you know, Pop could be critical at times. Like, yeah, Pop did. And I guess that maybe made me believe that my approach could work, but this is just me. And when I see something going wrong, I'm going to let it out. Everything I say publicly, I'm also saying privately. So there's no static going on in between. Yeah. But I do think, John, that these guys wanted to be coached this way. I think that they had gone as far as they could with kind of the soft stick that Brad Stevens coached with. And Brad Stevens, I think to this day, is a top 10 coach in the NBA. He is a great X's and O's guy. But his voice had gotten a little bit lost on that team. And they needed someone to come in and kick their backside. And that's exactly what Ime did from day one. I'm sure it was shocking at times to a lot of those players there, but ultimately it paid off. I'll give you an example. Robert Williams, who is playing right now through what's got to be an astonishing amount of pain. Like Robert Williams came back from knee surgery after a month. A month! He's coming back and playing playoff basketball after having significant knee surgery. And every game, 
he's day-to-day. He's playing through pain every single night. You see him even in game two, dragging his leg all around the floor. It's wild yeah. to watch him out there. Robert Williams in years past does not play through that type of pain, in my opinion. Because Ime Udoka, from like training camp on, was finding 900 different ways to call Robert Williams soft. And basically to say Robert Williams <laughs> needs to play through pain a lot more. Even when you weren't asking about it in the context of Robert Williams, he would find a way to weave that into an answer to some of his questions. I, I remember them. I was sitting there listening to him talk about Robert Williams at times, and he would bring that up about playing through pain. So Ime instilled a type of toughness in this team that they didn't have in years past. And that toughness, both mentally and physically, has helped them get to this point. They would not be here right now if they didn't have the toughness that Ime Udoka built into them. All right, so they change out Ime, and it's kind of a cliche in sports where you say maybe you had a coach previously who treaded a little softly, and then you come in with a guy who gives you tough love, and so that works out from the coaching end. But it just kind of boggles my mind that they made all of these changes at once, and then they make the finals on top of it. So they change the head coach, and Brad Stevens shifts into the front office, and Danny Ainge leaves, and this whole thing has changed, but it ends up working for them specifically and especially with Brad Stevens. Yeah, it really was a perfect storm of events for this team because as instrumental as Ime Udoka, the coach, has been to this team's success, Brad Stevens, the executive, has been equally as instrumental. I mean, Danny Ainge drafted six of the top eight players on this roster. His fingerprints are all there. But the other two guys the Celtics have were acquired by Brad Stevens. And I don't believe that Danny Ainge would have done the deals that Brad Stevens did. Danny, as everybody knows, is extremely protective of his draft capital. Mm. He wants to hoard draft picks and either use them for players or package them into a bigger trade. I don't believe that Danny Ainge would have traded a first-round pick in exchange for Al Horford back in June. I don't believe that Danny Ainge would have thrown a first-round pick and swap rights into a deal with San Antonio to get Derek White. And where would the Celtics be without those two players? I mean, Al Horford all season long has been an invaluable piece of the front court rotation. Derek White has been a far better fit for Udoka's system than Dennis Schroeder was with this team. So those two deals, which I don't think would have been done under the previous administration, have pushed the Celtics to this point. So it really has been a confluence of events that came together to get the Celtics to this point. Yeah, I mean, bringing back Horford at his advanced age or relative for a player anyway, it works out. Derek White works out. But I'm wondering how much credit you do give Ainge because this is largely a homegrown roster, right? I mean, you still have the main pieces being Tatum and Brown and Smart who were Ainge guys. Yeah, look, People focus, I understand the focus on the misses that Danny's had during his GM career. And look, every executive misses, like there's no doubt about it. And he's had some high profile ones. Um, Kelly Olinick over Giannis, not his best moment, that's yeah. for sure. But a lot of guys, a lot of teams missed on Giannis. A lot of people point. missed on Giannis. They did. But you look at this roster. I mean, 
Jason Tatum was not this obvious choice back in 2017. People thought Markel Fultz was the home run candidate, and he got killed. And I, I say Danny yes, got killed. Some people in Philadelphia thought that. I was the one killing him too. I wrote this whole column saying like Danny's putting his whole career on the line making this deal that passed on Fultz to get Tatum. So that's a big age success. Jalen Brown. I remember being in Boston the night Jalen Brown was drafted in 2016. He was booed. The draft pick was booed yeah. because Boston fans wanted Chris Dunn, who played down in Providence. Danny saw the potential in Jalen Brown. Grant Williams, who was not a great three-point shooter in three years at Tennessee, he has turned into a high-level one in part because Danny and his staff saw that Grant Williams had great shooting mechanics and could develop into that type of player. So, look, he's mined these guys, and yes, he's had some misses, but your favorite GM has had misses too. There's no doubt about it. Sam Presti has had misses. Yep. Masai Ujiri has had misses. Everybody has misses, but the successes of Danny's draft picks are a big reason why the Celtics are here. The timing on all of it has just worked out really well. Luck of the Irish for the Boston Celtics. But you mentioned some of these guys that he did hit on, and, I, and you mentioned the roster as well for the Boston Celtics. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it, and it's frankly depressing for somebody who loves Eastern Conference basketball and one team in specific that is not the Celtics, because these guys are going to be good, it seems like, for a very long time, because their age, they're all, aside from Al Horford, they're all in their earlier mid-20s. I mean, Jalen Brown is 25, Jason Tatum is 24. Marcus Smart is 28. I mean, they have, it looks like a team that could really be a thorn in the Eastern Conference side for quite some time. Yeah, they really could. Look, Al Horford probably going to be back next year. I think the Celtics, it's a no-brainer to guarantee his contract for next season. He's been that good. It looks like he's aging pretty well. Just turned 36, and he's having a really high-level season. Brown on the baseline. Horford inside. Counted in one. I think the question they have internally in Boston is what is the Al Horford succession plan? Like who's going to be that guy that becomes the versatile four five that can do the things that Al does. Grant Williams is kind of that guy, but he's not everything that Al is. And I think yeah. they'd like to identify that player, whether it's via the draft or free agency moving forward. But all these pieces are intact. You mentioned the age of all these guys. A lot of them are under long-term contracts. Jalen Brown's going to have an extension coming up. I'm sure he'll get what he wants from the Celtics because he continues to rise in the NBA. It'll be an expensive roster, make no mistake, but this is the kind of team that you can keep together. And because of their defense, you can expect them to go deep into the playoffs every single year. Part of me picking the Warriors, aside from their muscle memory and having been there before, was sort of the inverse for the Celtics because we're talking about their age, right? They're young. Uh, this is a massive stage. And yet it doesn't seem like the moment is too big for them. And it really hasn't been this entire playoffs because when we think about like the teams that they've blown through, they start with the Nets, which was everybody's darling pick. Everybody said, oh, you know, bad draw for the Celtics, blow through the Nets. Then they beat the Bucs in seven games, the defending champions. And then they beat the number one seed in the East, the Heat, in seven games. And I think that that is a really a testament to, yes, these guys are young, but that is almost sort of like incidental to their success this season. Yeah, uh, Golden State's an awkward roster. There's no question about it. Yeah. The two teenagers that they've got on the bench and James Wiseman, who hasn't played this season, 
they're an interesting roster to be sure. But I do think that in a way with Golden State, some of those young guys have kind of invigorated some of the older guys on the roster. And Draymond Green was kind of talking about this a little bit over the weekend, kind of how they get to know these younger players and how they kind of connect with these younger players. I think those younger guys have breathed a little bit of life into that roster. On top of it, you know, going through what the Warriors went through over the last couple of years with their down years, their gap year, not having certainty about Klay Thompson coming back. I think that's invigorated them as a team as well. So it's been a a couple of different things, I think, with Golden State that's pushed them into this point. And they're also, we talk about the Celtics' future, depending on whether you keep the Moody's, Kamingas, the Wisemans of that team and develop them or package them in a trade for somebody, whether it's Donovan Mitchell or somebody else, Damian Lillard, I don't know who it might be, you can push this window open a couple more years. Like, this is not the last hurrah of Golden State by any stretch. What they do next with those young players and their draft capital, I think will really determine how long this window's open. Yeah, I talked about that with Beck on this very program, how they managed to sort of reboot the dynasty on the fly. And in a way, the Celtics kind of, you know, it's not a dynasty, but they rebooted their team on the fly with all the changes that they made with the coaching staff and the front office. And now here they are in the finals. They're the present, unfortunately, and the future of the Eastern Conference and the NBA. You've got a plane to catch. Games three and four coming up in Boston. Hey, don't worry, John. When Danny Ainge flips Donovan Mitchell for like R.J. Barrett and three first-round picks, you'll live to hate a Celtic once again for the long-term future. <laughs> I've got plenty. It's bottomless hate. It's what we learn in Philadelphia. You've got a plane to catch three and four in Boston. Listen to him on the Crossover Podcast. Read him on SI.com. Chris Mannix, as always, thank you for this. You got it, John. After a break, how the Warriors overcame adversity to make it back to the NBA Finals again. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. 
A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. When this show debuted way back in January, the very first guest we had on was SI senior writer Howard Beck to discuss how the Warriors had surprisingly managed to make themselves relevant again. After all, just a few years ago, Beck and I were in Oakland to watch the Toronto Raptors win a title on the Warriors' home court, and it felt like the dynasty died that night. But the Warriors have proved us wrong this season. Don't call it a comeback. Golden State has been here for years. So with the Warriors back in the NBA Finals, we thought we'd revisit that story from January. Here's Beck and I, back then, discussing how the Warriors kept their dynasty alive when almost everyone thought it was over. The Toronto Raptors are back in Oakland against the Golden State Warriors as we welcome you to the NBA Finals. I thought that night that we saw the dynasty literally crumble before us. Howard Beck is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated who covers the NBA. Thompson running the floor and a foul. And Thompson grabs his left knee. Now writhing in pain. Clay Thompson goes down with the ACL just a couple days after we'd seen Kevin Durant go down with the blown Achilles. Leonard at the line to ice the game and to win the championship. Free throw is up and in. The Raptors by four. Cousins inbounds the ball. Curry heaves it at the buzzer. It's no good. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. Howard and I were both there. Game six of the 2019 NBA Finals, the last Warriors game in Oakland, and what we thought was the end of their dynasty. The Raptors won their first championship that night, and the Warriors were left to deal with the fallout. My strongest memory of that night, aside from the Raptors celebrating their championship, was going in the back hallways. Bob Myers was spent. We were we were just out of words. We were out of emotion. I mean, it was just... I don't know how, it, it, you know, as a human being, you can only process so much. He had almost no voice. Remember, he'd been in tears a couple nights earlier talking about Durant and how badly he felt about Durant going down when they put him back out there. And when I gently asked about the possibility that this is it, this night is where it all ends, he didn't dismiss it out of hand. And he basically said, there are these transition moments and you've got to be ready for them. And it's okay. However it comes, it comes. And so he was ready for the possibility that the dynasty, as we knew it, was over. And as dark as that night was, Howard, and I remember it well, as do you, things got worse. I mean, it didn't all of a sudden get better immediately for them. Clay Thompson, as you mentioned, hurts his knee. He comes back. He tears his Achilles as well. Steph misses most of the following season with a hand injury. The Warriors miss out on the bubble completely. Not having them for the playoffs, even in a weird season like that, was awfully strange. But how bleak did it look for them in their darkest hours? You know, the one thing they could fall back on, John, was, okay, we still have Steph Curry. Granted, you know, uh, maybe late prime Steph Curry, and we don't know how much more we can get out of him, but we still have Steph Curry, and we'll eventually have Klay Thompson back, and we still have Draymond Green, the, you know, the heart of our defense, the heart of our team in a lot of ways. But when Klay goes down a second time a year later with the Achilles, and now he's got back-to-back two of the toughest injuries, like, where's the path out of that? In a weird way, though, because they go through all this adversity, and Bob Myers told you that the dark days actually sort of placed them on this path to rebuild on the fly, and maybe 
they wouldn't have gone this way if, you know, Steph had been healthy, if Clay had been healthy. Was it planned out? No, we, we didn't plan to have Clay go down for two years uh, or Steph to miss most of the year two years ago, but it happened, and it happened in the NBA. So it afforded this opportunity, and when you draft high, you try to take the player you believe will be, end up being the best player. They were going to take a step back regardless once Kevin Durant went down and once Kevin Durant then decided to leave the Warriors entirely, right? He was MVP of both finals and and their last two championships. So you were already going to have to find a way to kind of reconstitute yourselves um, in a post-Durant world. So Durant leaves and they fashion a dual sign-in trade where they send Kevin Durant to the Brooklyn Nets where he was going to sign outright as a free agent anyway. And the Nets in turn send D'Angelo Russell as a sign-in trade back to the Warriors. I don't think they ever thought D'Angelo Russell's here long-term, but it was a way to get some value out of Durant leaving. And then they flipped D'Angelo Russell to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins and a lightly protected first-round pick. They were setting themselves up. They were trying to be creative and clever on the fly, knowing that they had to move into some other phase, whatever it would be. They do have this small grouping of promising young players. Jordan Poole has certainly stepped up this season. Jonathan Kaminga, James Weissman, they end up drafting him pretty high. But some of those guys, Howard, end up spending time in the G League, which used to be sort of an insult to ask guys to work on their game, especially if they were picked as highly as James Weissman was. But Steve Kerr told you it's not like that anymore. If not for the G League, this whole thing we're talking about is like that much harder, right? Like yeah, way harder. Maybe you're force feeding them more minutes yeah. here if you don't have it. Yeah, or you know, just trying to play more pickup stuff here. Um, but the, the the G League's emergence has really helped in that regard. Not that long ago, when the NBA first created what was first called the NBDL, the NBA Development League, and then the D League, and now the G League, it was spoken about in ways that were. Less than charitable, less less than gracious. And when you talked about a player being sent down, it's like in baseball, you sent down to the minor league. Like the even the verbiage we use is is really disparaging. I mean, sent down never sounds good. And so lottery picks, spending time in the D or G League, unheard of. And you know, agents would have thrown a fit. But you're sending my guy down. My guy was a third overall pick. You can't send him to the to the G League. That's changed now, and that's a really important and very healthy bit of progress for the NBA as a whole. That was a really important part of Jordan Poole's development last season and a big reason why he is now this critical part of their team. There's a bunch of guys in this league who are now really good players who spent a lot of time in the G League, and we remind our players of that too. Um, there's no there's no shame. It's a, it's a legitimate yeah. part of development. And so the, the Warriors very much see the G League as a critical, critical part to developing young players, which is interesting for their part because they don't have the room to develop their young guys in the present because they're still trying to win a championship with their vets. Yeah, so all of this from an academic perspective, Howard, makes sense to me. As a Philadelphian, I obviously spent a lot of time watching the process Sixers, but that's different than actually executing the plan, especially when you have a superstar of somebody, say, like Steph Curry's caliber. Steph was pretty revealing in what he said, uh, which was basically that I only want to compete for championships. If the goal is not win that championship, then I don't want to be here. But if you're like, what are our options? What makes sense? What's realistic? 
I'm also a rational person. I understand like that's the league works a certain way. Yeah. Um, you can't just wave a wand and things are going to go your way. Like that can't be the expectation. Steph Curry is there for one purpose alone. So is Draymond Green. And Klay Thompson, now that he's back, you know what the agenda is for this team right now. And so everything has to be funneled toward that. And so the conversation that I think that Steph and Draymond and Clay too probably had to have with management was, well, if you can't get us immediate help by flipping these picks now that you've used them, what is our plan? What is our path? Like we asked now and what we have, there's a great opportunity to develop and maintain the score of what we've done and just give it a shot. And then you, you kind of ride that wave until the signs say, you know, do something different. So yeah. it's our job to go hoop and do what we can to uh, make it work. And I think any concerns that the players had have probably been calmed by a couple of things. One, they've been fantastic this season <laughs> without having needed to cash out Moody, Kuminga, Weissman for veterans. Jordan Poole making this leap. Andrew Wiggins, who, like with D'Angelo Russell in the first place, Wiggins was kind of a flyer. I don't think the Warriors knew for sure that what they would get, but they've got this wonderful, much more polished version now, matured, refined version of Andrew Wiggins, and he now feels kind of essential to them. And then behind all that, and it's a kind of an important point, I absolutely believe, John, uh, more than believe, that if the Warriors had had the opportunity to trade some combination of young players and picks for immediate help, especially all-star help, they would have. Those deals weren't there. And by the way, if a deal presents itself tomorrow that might cost them one of those young guys that they're so high on and are, are saying are our future, our post-Steph, Clay, Draymond future, it could still happen. I don't think it's going to. It could still happen. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. 
A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. But despite all of this, Howard, all these different moving parts that are sort of swirling around, all the things that happened to them and didn't happen to them, by circumstance, they find themselves in this intersection of what you exactly described, playing well now while also looking at the future. And the degree of difficulty on rebuilding on the fly is through the roof. And we know that because it's never really happened before. As you mentioned in the piece, the last time that it was even tried, really, was during the Lakers aborted trade for Chris Paul, which the league overruled. So to put it in historical context, how unique is what the Warriors are attempting? If they pull it off, it's a first of its kind, right? Teams generally crash and burn for the obvious reasons. Superstar-laden teams that win championships tend to be older. They've got a run in them. Maybe it's three years, maybe it's five, maybe it's seven. But at the end of it, they're old and they break down and you don't usually trade those guys in their prime. So you don't have high-value, high-talent prospects to develop. But the Warriors do now. And that's the part that's so incredibly unique, partially by just circumstance and, and, and misfortune. They ended up drafting high because they, they were bad for a couple of years because of injuries. But they still have Steph and Clay and Draymond who are still in some semblance of their prime. It may not be, it's not their early prime, it's not their mid-prime. I think it's kind of late prime if I'm just making up terms on the fly. But those are guys who are still capable of, of carrying a team to a championship. So what the Warriors are doing is still unique. They are a team that has won three championships in recent history, that is only a couple years removed, uh, almost now three years removed from their last finals, that still has their core, and that is developing what we think might be their next core. I want the Warriors to be great for the next 15 years. And I'm not going to be the coach here for the next 15 years, but I want the franchise to do well. I love Bob. I love Joe. I love the front office. I want this franchise to be successful for a long time. Um, And so if that means that we grow the next core right now over the next two years with this team, and they end up taking over the team, and the team's great for the next 10 years, that'd be awesome. I would love that. In the NBA, those of us who have covered the league, we talk a lot about heat culture, right? That's sort of like a a fun cliche that we all bandy about. But what role do you think Kerr and Warriors culture has played in being able to pull this off? I think it's a huge part of it, John. And one of the interesting things about while I was reporting this story was that I was expecting to find more of like the process part of what they were going to do to develop Kuminga, Moody, Weissman. What are the mechanics of that? But it's as much about Warriors culture as it is about teaching them, you know, post-up drills. And when we talk about Warriors culture, a lot of that, I think, is the humanity of Bob Myers and Steve Kerr and their approach to this game and this business. I think they've got a very human touch. These are guys with high emotional intelligence and they're the kind of organization that will talk about emotional intelligence. What do we always hear the Warriors talking about? Joy, the joy of playing with Steph, the joy of watching Steph, the joyfulness of the Warriors. So to the extent that Steve Kerr and Steph Curry and these guys exude that, that's the environment that Weissman and Moody and Kuminga are learning in. They're getting to learn how to win from guys who have done it at the highest level. And I'm glad you brought up the joy component, Howard, because this team this year has been full of surprises. I don't think anybody expected them to be this good this season. But beyond that, they reminded me that there was a time before they were inevitable where it was fun to watch the Warriors. It was fun to watch Steph Curry. Basketball is entertainment, right? And they have been some of the best entertainers in the league for a long time now and now are again. 
The worst thing possible is a feeling of inevitability. You don't want the mystery to go out of it, right? You want there to be some sense of suspense. And for a while there, we just knew it was going to be Warriors versus LeBron every year. Sure, it resulted in some great finals. And I think the the ratings were probably bonkers and everything else. But was it as much fun? So they're fresh again now, right? Durant is gone. They're no longer the evil empire. They've had to go through some stuff. They've had injuries. They've been bad. They've been humbled. And so I think they're they're kind of cuddly again, right? <laughs> like it's they're they're almost they are almost underdogs. Even with the record that they've got and the season that they've had, they're they almost feel like underdogs where they're they're because they're kind of rising out of the ashes. And I do. I think it's made them more embraceable again. More embraceable, cuddly, more fun. All these words that you're using bring to mind a guy that they recently got back, Clay Thompson. He- And now, in his 11th NBA season, out of Washington State University, number 11, Clay Thompson! Whether or not you're a Warriors fan, it's hard not to like Clay Thompson. Uh, you and I having interacted with him in our professional capacity, but certainly he's quirky. He's de- he definitely marches to his own beat. And now having him back and folding him, not just into what he can do on the court, but that culture that we talk about with the Warriors and sort of making it light and easy. And Clay doesn't really sweat the small stuff. So having that final cherry on top of the fun Sunday is is one more positive for the Warriors this season. Much as we talk about Steph Curry, this was it was about the Splash Brothers, right? It's about the best shooting backcourt in the history of the game, as Mark Jackson correctly proclaimed once upon a time before any of us were ready to accept that. Well, ah, he's hyping his own guys. It's a little hyperbolic. No, <laughs> he was absolutely right. Klay Thompson would probably be the best shooter in NBA history if it weren't for the fact that he's playing next to the best shooter in NBA history. Klay Thompson has never been below 40% from three in a full season is in his NBA career. And there is something else about him that just sheen of cool because he is so inflammable, because he is so copacetic at all times, and because he's got that beautiful shot, and because he's likely to erupt for maybe 10 threes in a quarter or something, and because of his defense, as important as anything too, the, the part that we always overlook with the Warriors, that you know here's this guy who could defend the best perimeter player on the opponent every night. And so having him back is what really makes the Warriors whole. I think the really fascinating part of this season is that we started it saying, you know, the Warriors might be contenders again when Clay gets back and if Clay is Clay. And it turns out the Warriors were already back before even Clay came back, but it, I still think it is his presence that will convince anybody who might still be a little skeptical that this team actually can go back and win another title, maybe two, maybe more. We'll see. The greatest teams, everybody knew their role and they played into perfection. So we can be that. We can be one of the greatest dynasties and it's not over. I truly believe that. That it's not over. No. Yeah. Howard Beck, you are a one-man dynasty unto yourself. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> it's a pleasure, John. Thanks, man. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Cooper McKim, Jessica Yarmoski, and Isaac Lee, who was also our sound engineer. 
Our senior producer is Dan Bloom. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Thanks for listening. And if you've stuck around this long, we leave you with this. Well, uh, John, you excited to talk about the Celtics? I should get paid double for this because I, I was told that there'd be no more Celtics talk after my last job. Who told you that? Who told you that? They lied. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.